Hey, would you grab your Bible and turn to John 8, and let's read our text this morning. John 8, and we'll start in verse 12 and read down through verse 20. So again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And I am one who bears witness about it myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So we've been walking through the Gospel of John for quite a while now. And we have come to chapter 8. Um, we are on the, just maybe a day or two, a couple of days after the ending of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. And you know, life in many ways can be a journey. And believe it or not, 2020 has been so exciting, has it not? It's been great. Um, we're ready to sign up for another one, right, uh, this year. Uh, but let me just say this to us. We have made it to November the 22nd, 2020 which means God has been with us. Um, we are here. Um, he has led us, and His goodness has been a part of our lives, and He has been leading. And so uh, over the past three chapters, I want to remind us of what, just quickly reviewing of something that Jesus has been doing, making a case as to who He is before the people. And He's, he's taken images that go all the way back to the wilderness journey that after they left Egypt, this group of people began to wander around the desert, and they wandered around for 40 years. And there are several significant things that happened during this. And Jesus has been taking those in John chapter 6 and in John chapter 7, and now in John chapter 8. And He is showing that He is the greater fulfillment of those things. That it's important for us to see who He is. And so in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 um, and it echoes back, and he begins, to, he begins to talk about he's the bread of life that has come down from heaven. He is the bread who's come from heaven. And it echoes back all the way to the Old Testament when, during the time, they would wake up in the morning, and there would be manna on the ground, this bread substance, and they would eat it, and it would uh, sustain them, and, and God provided that bread for them. And so, in John 6, Jesus says, um, I'm not just man on the ground, but I am way more important than that. I am the literal bread that has come down from heaven. If you will eat of me and drink of me, you will have life and have eternal life. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus um, goes up to the Feast of the Tabernacles that take place every fall. And as he goes up there, it is a time when they were remembering back when uh, they lived in tents and they went around in the desert and during that time, God did two unique things. He, well, He provided bread for them, we know that, but He also provided water for them in the desert, and then He also led them 
uh, by day with light and, and then, or at night with, with a pillar of fire and then by day uh, with a cloud. And so in John chapter 7, at the very end of the feast where the priest is pouring water during the Feast of the Tabernacles, every day they would go to the Pool of Siloam and they would come back and they would pour this water on the altar. On the last and greatest day of the feast is when Jesus says, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so Jesus by that is saying, I am the water of life as well. So you can come not only to eat, but you can come to drink. And now as we come to John chapter 8, he's going back as well to another image of the wilderness journey. And it's when God led them by cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And he will speak today to say this, I am the greater light. I am greater than a cloud. I am greater than a pillar of fire. Can you imagine what that must have been awesome to be like to see that at nighttime and day and that just for 40 years they saw this presence of God with them in that but now Jesus is saying I'm the fulfillment of that as a matter of fact I'm the fulfillment of that in such a way as I am literally in your presence in a body you can see me and so he had come to be with his people so when he stands up on this day to say I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life this is a significant statement so again John 6, John 7, now John 8, he is echoing back to a time when God was in the midst of the people, providing for them and being with them, but now he's saying, I am the greater fulfillment. What is happening in your midst is far better than what took place all those years back um, in the wilderness. Now, it's important, before we begin to really dive into this text, for me to help you under, help us all understand why these words that he spoke on this day, when he spoke them, where he spoke them, why this was so significant. Now, they would come to Jerusalem from all over at the Feast of the Tabernacles. They would live in makeshift tents all over the city. And every night, they would not, during, well, during the day, I've already talked about that, they would, the, the priest would go, he would get the water, they would pour that. But at nighttime, they set up in the court of the women which the men could come into the court of the women. It was also the place where there were 13 places where you could give offerings for a number of different things there. So both men and women could gather in the court of the women uh, before, they, before you could, the women could move forward, but you could go into the court of the priests after that. But it was a place that held lots and lots of people. And inside the court of the women, they had these seven, three 75-foot candles. Just think about that for a moment. 75-foot at the top of the candles, they took old priest garments and they made the wicks out of that. And then they had lots of oil up there that allowed all night long, every night during the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would light those. And so they would get the young men, get the youth to climb up ladders, 75 feet, because you should always get youth to do dangerous things. And so they would climb up and every night they would light the old priest garments that were the wick and all night long, the candles would burn. It was written by Jewish historians that because the temple was on the, the mount um, and because the candles were so high on top of the temple, there wasn't a place in the city of Jerusalem where the light from those three candles didn't reach a courtyard from somebody's house. And I want you to notice the significance here. Down below, so they would light those down below. They would, they would have men that danced. That's the way they did it. Men would dance, they would sing, they would shout, and they would celebrate remembering God's midst, His presence in, in their midst, and how significant that was. 
On the eighth day of the feast, it lasted seven days. On the eighth day of the feast, it was a time of solemn assembly where they were quiet. It was sometime either just after that where they didn't light the candles anymore. There was no light going to the courtyards. It's when Jesus stood up and he said these words, I am the light of the world. So when he says these words, it is really a significant time because he's saying, I'm not a temporary light. That you just light for seven days and, and it requires oil and it requires maintenance and it requires things. He says this, no, I am the light of the world. I'm not a light, I am the light of the world. And so the significance of when he is saying this is really important and is communicating to the religious leaders who have been very upset with them. They get what he's saying. He's equating himself that he is who? He is God. And so they get exactly what he's saying And so they're going to continue to have a conversation that we will look at today. But I just want to touch on this. Jesus is the light of the world. And so he says here, this word I am is in the Hebrew. It is tetragrammaton, and it just simply means this. This is the name for God. I am who I am. Um, And so this is God's covenant name. And the Jews consider this name so special and so unique that it was never mentioned by them. It was spoken one time a year by the high priest on the Day uh, of Atonement. And so, so this just was not one of those things that they spoke a lot. And so when Jesus stands up and he uses this in the midst of the people, the religious leaders would have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. You are equating yourself to the God who revealed himself to Moses and we have an issue with what you are saying. So this is God's covenant name. It's really important. And I, I think this is important to note this morning. His name indicates when he says, I am who I am, that God gets to define who he is, not us. Nobody else gets to define that. So when he says, I am who I am to Moses, and when he says, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread that has come down from heaven, he is indicating that he is defining who he is. His name is not, I am whoever you want me to be. He is who he is. In every instance in the Gospel of John, there are seven of them. This is the second one that we're looking at here. Every time Jesus says, I am, he is indicating something unique that is important for us to follow. And so let's talk a little bit more about what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. Light in the Gospel of John is a dominant, dominant theme. 24 times John writes the word light. And every single one of them has has great implications to the nature and the glory of Jesus. You and I know this, darkness illumines nothing. Darkness just remains darkness. But when light comes into a place, it illumines and it dispels the darkness. And so every word of Scripture is important. Even these little bitty words... So notice what Jesus says here because it's really important. He says, I am the, the light of the world. I am not a light of the world. I am not a light among many lights. I am the light for the entire world. If there's any light about life, then it's me. I'm the one. So you're not going to find it anywhere else but me. And so when Jesus, again, uses this name for God, connecting to himself, he is making it clear before the people, before the religious leaders, that this is exactly who he is, and it should be noted. And there's two things connected to this phrase that I think are really important. It is a narrow, exclusive term. I am the only light for the entire 
world. In our culture, and also in Europe today, predominantly in the West, there is something that is very dominant today. We see it all the time in the news. It's called postmodern thought. And postmodern thought just basically is this, is there was modernism, and then postmodernism means what? Postmodern, modern, so it's after that. And the idea is simply this. In the modern world, there was an idea that there was truth. In the postmodern world, is the rea- there was a reaction to exclusive claims. Let's take, for, exen- for, for um, example, so uh, communism came along and they said, okay, this is the way to think, this is the way to do things, and they made an exclusive claim and it didn't fix anything. And so, so uh, Hitler rose to power in Germany and said, okay, this, this idea. And so, so all over... Um, postmodern thought is this is it's a reaction one of the big things it's a reaction to exclusive claims about truth and about we that you have to walk this way and so here's what happens with with postmodern truth is truth becomes fluid it's not solid it's not firm anymore and so so one day my truth is this a few months from now I kind of feel a little bit different and so my truth is this and so there's a constant changing a constant shifting in regard to an understanding uh, about truth and so Christ comes along and we this morning are proclaiming this because it's what we believe that he is the only light there are not many lights there's not many paths to get to God there is one path to get to God and that is Jesus Christ and so truth doesn't change Truth is solid, it is firm, and He is the only light who is in the world. Everything else, therefore, is darkness compared to Christ. It's maybe creatively disguised as light, but it is definitely not light. John later writes this in a letter that he writes in 1 John 1, 5. He says, this is the message that we heard from Him, and we are telling you, we're proclaiming to you, that God is light, and in God there is no darkness at all. So when we begin to try to define what is darkness then, what is, how do we understand darkness? One way to understand darkness is the effects of sin and, and, and what it does to lives. There's a, there's a cause and effect in regard to those things. And so when we talk about this, we're talking about the destructiveness that comes from sin on culture, on families, on marriages, on the robbing and stealing of innocence, the mocking and the ignoring of God. So there's a darkness that is connected to sin. And then there is a darkness that is the greatest darkness. And that is the eternal separation from God that people who reject Christ will experience. And if you want to know why in hell and utter darkness that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth is that those who will be in hell will realize what the answer to everything was and they will never be able to find it for all of eternity. That will cause you to weep and to gnash your teeth. That there will be this incredible separation that's there. So when the Bible speaks of darkness, it speaks of the effect of sin and what it does in people's lives and families and individuals and in a culture, in a nation, in a government, whatever, whatever the case may be. But it also speaks of the separation that comes because people reject Christ. And I know that's heavy this morning, and we're talking about something really significant, but sometimes you've got to look at the heaviness to see the glory of what's on the other side. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And if you know him, 
You don't have to remain in darkness anymore. You can walk in the light of life and the significant reality of that. Light, according to the Bible, does all kinds of good things for us in our lives. L- listen, to, listen to some of these things that light has an effect on life. Light has an effect on life. This is uh, Psalm 119, 130. Light reveals truth. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The light dispels the darkness. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light becomes the guide for our life. Psalm 43, 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Light, by the way, dwells with God. God dwells in a place of unapproachable light. Daniel wrote this in Daniel 2.22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with God. Light also, David wrote, is our salvation. It's a way to picture our salvation. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So I want us to notice this. When Jesus speaks and he says, I am the light, not a light, I am the light. This is a very exclusive, narrow claim. Our culture does not like those kind of claims. And by the way, it doesn't matter if they don't like those kind of claims. If we're going to live by truth, it cannot be defined by culture. Have you looked around at our culture lately? We do not want it defining anything for us. And so we want... He who's never had a beginning and never had an end, who upholds the world by the word of his power, we want him to be in control of things, and we want to connect our lives deeply and intimately to him. So when he says, I am the light of the world, it's in a very exclusive claim, but it's also beautifully broad. Watch. Those three candles lit up the city for seven days. Jesus has the ability and the power to light up the world for forever. Not just a city, not just courtyards in a city. He's not the light just for the Jews. He's not the light just for the special people. He's not the light just for the kings. He is the light of the world. This is for the world. It is offered to the world for him saying, this is broad. Not only is it exclusive, but it is broad. I am the light of the world. And so it's this inclusive offer to people who live in darkness to be invited to come to know Christ in the light. And, and I, I love the, the offer and the beauty and the understanding that we are given here according to Christ. I am the light of the world. So an ultimate, really important thing that we have to ask then is how do we keep ourselves in that light how do we keep walking in that light what's what's what what are some key things to understand and so the last part of verse 12 jesus tells us what that is so he says whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the the light of life so i want to talk about this because i think this is really important um this morning for us to understand if he is the light of the world, not a light of the world, and we've got to connect our life with him. So how do we, how do we maintain walking with him so that we experience what it's like to have Christ's life in us, active, alive, 
moving in us. And the first thing that we must see is this. If we're going to live in his light, we have to follow him. And that's what he says there. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me. So we've got to follow Jesus in everything. So his presence, we want his presence to be active and, and we want to live in the light of his presence, then we've got to follow Christ. And so, so weeks ago when I was writing this sermon, I began to think of who's a great example of what it looks like to really walk with Jesus. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the trouble, in spite of all the things that can come into a life, what does it look like to maintain that faith regardless of circumstances and good things and in bad things? Who's an example? And I couldn't think of anybody better than a New Testament character by the name of Paul. So in Acts chapter 9, Paul, at the end of Acts chapter 8, Paul is there. His name's Saul at the time. And he's, he's a young man and they're given these coats and they stone Stephen to death. Stephen has just preached this sermon. Saul is there. And they lay their coats, and he's there kind of watching them, and they stone Stephen to death. And then Paul gets involved in the destruction of the church and the dealing with these people that are like Stephen. And so he's on the road headed to another city to bring destruction and to arrest people that are following Jesus. And on the road, by the way, guess what happens? Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Guess how he reveals himself to Paul? With a bright light. Because Jesus is the light of the world. It is so bright that he's riding on an animal and he's thrown from the animal and he lands on the ground. He realizes something that is way bigger than me, way bigger than anything I've ever seen has just happened. This light has been so strong, it immediately blinds him. And Paul's first words are, who are you, Lord? He recognizes he's in the presence of someone that's far greater than he has ever been around. And so he recognizes, and so he says, Who are you, Lord? And for three days, the Bible tells us that he, he has to be led by the people that are with him, and he's in a house, and he's not eating, and he's not drinking for three days, and I think he's contemplating. What am I going to do with my life? I've been in control of my life. I've been opposing these people, and now I have met Jesus on the road, and I have, what am I going to do? And so God speaks to a guy named Ananias to go to see Paul on this house on Straight Street. And he gets there, he lays his hands, and watch this. Something from Paul's eyes, the Luke writes, literally falls, like scales fall from his eyes. I don't know if that is scabs from the light that has blinded him, whatever the case may be. There is something literal that, that, that comes down and and in that moment, Paul's been thinking for about 72 hours, what am I going to do with my life? And he decides, I'm going to pursue Jesus. And did he ever pursue Jesus? And so later, he's done all these missionary journeys, and he's heading back to Jerusalem. He's in trouble, and he, with the law, because of his faith, and he stops his ship stops from a place, and he meets some people that he spent a lot of time with. They are the elders and leaders of the church in Ephesus. And they meet him, and Paul shared these, shares these words with them. Listen to this. If you think 2020 has been bad, <laughs> listen to these words to the Apostle Paul. And now Paul tells them, Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. 
not knowing. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. Here's what I know, though. I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but I know this. I only know that in every city, every city, every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. That's what I got going for me in my life. Every city that I go to, the Holy Spirit said, you don't know it's Jerusalem, but I can't tell you, you don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but I can't tell you all the cities you're going to stop in before you get there, prison and hardships. That's what's going to happen for you. And then Paul says this. So how do, you, how do you deal with that reality? Here's how you deal with that reality. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I'm not going to be in control of my life. I've relinquished the control of my life. My only aim, listen to what he says. We're going to come back to this, this phrase. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So was the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, Paul, this might happen to you, or was the Holy Spirit saying, this is going to happen to you? And so that we understand that the Holy Spirit was saying, Paul, this is going to happen to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in the second part of verse 23, this is what Paul wrote. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches that I've started. And then he's eventually arrested and he's in a prison in Rome and he just probably has months left. And he writes back to the city of Ephesus to a church there to a young pastor by the name of Timothy and Paul says these words, some of his last for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I'm about to leave this place. Listen to what he says. I've fought the good fight. I've invested my life in what matters. Listen to this. Remember what he said? My only aim is to finish the what? The race. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And here's the great joy. Don't miss this. Now there is in store for me after I leave this life, he's saying, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to everybody else who has longed for his appearing and his coming. And what I want to 
just communicate to us this morning that I think is absolutely significant. As Paul gives us an example to follow Jesus in everything. Let it affect your marriage. Let it affect your business ethics. Let it affect, if you're a student, the way you study. Let it affect your missional outlook. Let it affect everything of your life. Follow Jesus. Because here's what Paul would say today. If he could stand here, and that would be awesome if he could stand here and preach to us this morning, he would say this to us. If we will account our life as nothing, but make the gospel and make the glory of Christ be great, then whatever comes, we know this, that it's come under the sovereign hand of our good God. And He can be trusted, and we can follow Him. And our aim is to finish the race. And for a brief, short time in the span of all of eternity, we are here. And what awaits for us is what Jesus will eventually give us. That, listen, we are headed to a place of light. And that place of light, where there's no need for a sun or a moon or anything else, stars, we literally will live in the light of Christ. And that light will grant unto us, because of who He is, a life that is beyond anything that we could ever dream, hope, or imagine in this room today. We have no idea... No idea, no idea where we are going. And it's going to be far beyond any kind of life that we have here. And so so Jesus says, listen, I'm the light of the world, the light, not a light. And so the key is this, if you want to experience that, you've got to follow me. And when you follow me, he says secondly here, he says, you will not walk in darkness. If you follow me because I'm the light of the world... You will not walk in darkness. So listen to what Christ is saying here. If we don't follow Him, what do we walk in? Darkness. Now it can be tricked up light because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. But it's not authentic light. If light doesn't lead to Jesus, it's not real light. It's, a, it's fake. He is the light of the world. And so all around us there are people who are convinced, I know what's true. And I'm staking my life on it, and I think that's a big, huge gamble, and it will end in utter destruction. And walking in the light of Christ gives us the greatest protection daily against the things that wage war against our soul. Yesterday at my house, well, let me back up. November 1st, my wife, I don't, I don't know what your life is like, but my wife is consumed by Christmas starting in late October and uh, we have Christmas music in late October that's playing in our house and um, I have to I've made a deal with her over the years that um, uh, you can decorate inside but I'm not touching the outside lights until it's like Thanksgiving time and and I lost yesterday it's not Thanksgiving and all the outside lights are up I lost um, because I wanted to win some points. Sometimes it's wise to win points. And so, so we've got lots of lights at our house. Our, our neighbors are here. They watched yesterday us out there and came over. They didn't help, our, by the way, our neighbors. They didn't help any. They just watched us do it. And so anyway, so we've got a lot of lights, and they're kind of cool, but they're pseudo lights. They require an outside source. And I just want to remind you and I this morning that we are connected to one who doesn't need anything to light himself up. He just is light. And he never gets diminished. 
Nothing can take away from who he is. And we are invited to live in the light of life that is Christ. And I want to encourage us this morning before we move on and we begin to wind this thing down this morning is this, is to never get ahead of God's leadership in our lives. You ever done that? You ever stepped out and just kind of done your own thing and, and then you kind of get further down the road and you're like, oh my goodness, I am out here on my own. I'm out here on my own. I've stepped away from God's will and, and there's always consequences to that. doesn't have to necessarily be bad consequences, but there's always things with that. The Israelites, God was leading them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to teach them something. And here's what he was wanting to teach them. That they would not get ahead of him, that they would follow its leadership. And so for 40 years he was giving them this example. So listen to these words. This is Numbers 9, beginning in verse 17. Listen to these phrases. At the command, remained, camped, set out, settled down as long as... Let God lead. Listen to these words. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud, um, in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people camped. And at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. And as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. And when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. And then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out, or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. What was God trying to teach them? Let me lead you. Let me lead you. Follow me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you by day by a cloud, and at nighttime you're going to walk, and I'm going to light up the place so that you can see where you're going. And so when Jesus on this day, the day when they didn't light the candles anymore, he stands up and says, I am literally the light for the whole world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I cannot plead with us enough this morning to let God lead. I've stepped out before thinking, I'm waiting on you, I'm waiting on you, I'm waiting on you. When are you going to say something? When are you going to give direction? And I almost took a job one time that I think might have been disastrous because God wasn't in it, but I was trying to convince him that he was in it. And I don't know if you've been there, but let God lead. So this year, we've had to sit around a lot. We've had to not go to work. We've had life just very different. He is still on his throne. He is still the light of the world. Our world is still dark. Government can be dark and it can also be an influence for light all around us are all kinds of messages but the greatest hope that i can say to you and i this morning is this is that god came in a body and he was among people like you and i and he told people that he was the light of the world and that whoever followed him 
and stake their life on who He is, would not walk in darkness, but would have light that would illumine the way, and that light would be the life of men. You, you and I would have life, and so the key to light in our life is following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus because He's the light, we don't walk in darkness, and this light that He is is life, and we live in that reality. And so, so just think on this for a moment. What is a what does a corpse need? It needs the breath of God or the touch of God to come alive. It needs a resurrection. It needs life and a power to bring it to life. And messages of good luck and messages of happiness cannot do that. We need the mighty voice of God to speak and remind us again that He is the light of the world. And if you know that light, you will have life and it is transformative. And I've just been praying in these days for God to touch His people again and to awaken His people and to awaken our country. Because the problem we have is this. Nothing has changed from that Feast of the Tabernacles when Jesus made that declaration. And another thing that's not changed, and it's the people fighting Jesus' words. So that's what we have in our text here. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him in verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You can't do that. That's, that's breaking the rules. You can't give testimony about yourself. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself in 14, my testimony is true. And here's why I know it's true, because from... I know where I came from and where I'm going, and you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And again, they know exactly what he's saying, and that's the problem that they have. So you know this to be true. Why can someone in a courtroom not give personal testimony? What do people do all the time? It starts with L, an L. They lie. They lie. People lie. So why do you need two witnesses? Why do you need more, at least two witnesses to give testimony about something because people lie and so you need you need corroboration exactly about that now watch jesus speaking to the religious leaders says this i don't lie so therefore i can give testimony that is accurate and true about who i am because i don't lie in me is no lie i am true everything i say the father said everything i do um, I do what the Father does. And so Jesus, they're challenging him, saying, you're breaking the rules, you're breaking the word. And Jesus is saying, well, the law was given to you because you lie and you needed two witnesses. I don't need that because I am God. I do not lie. I am all truth. I am all pure. I am everything that is right. And so, so Jesus, they have been fighting him over this since all the way back in John chapter 5. And so they have a problem to saying, you just give witness about yourself. And Jesus is saying, well, I can do this because of who I am. And there are two main reasons he tells us here why he can do that. He knew where he came from. Where did he come from? Well, he didn't come from Bethlehem and he didn't come from Mary. He came from heaven. He had been, he's never had a beginning. He will never have an end. And so he came from the presence of his father sent by the Father here. And so he tells them, here's why my testimony is true. I am not a man. You're judging me with man, with man eyes. I am not that. I 
know where I came from. I came from heaven. I am eternal. I am God. And I also know that when I die, I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to ascend, and I'm going to go to be with my Father again. So here's why my testimony is true. Because I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. Now Paul tells us, this is astounding, Paul tells us this, that God is invisible. In 1 Timothy 1.17, he's to the king of the ages, he's immortal, he's invisible. And then Paul also tells Timothy that God dwells in unapproachable light, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can say can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. But the most amazing thing happened 2,000 years ago. God came in a body and that glory was just wrapped in skin. And on the mountain of transfiguration, they got to see a little bit of that. They, as his glory shone out of his body with Peter, James, and John when they were up there. And they saw this magnificent picture and God spoke over and said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then the father said, listen to what he has to say. You listen to him. So the most amazing thing happened 2,000 years ago. We get to learn what this God is like who is invisible and who dwells in unapproachable light. And I don't even know how to reconcile those terms. Can you reconcile that? That there's light. You can see light. But he's invisible and he dwells in... I mean, just our God is pretty magnificent. It's hard to use words on this earth to describe the glory of who He is and the power of who He is. And so Paul writes these things, and yet we know this, that Jesus here tells us, if you have seen me, you've seen who? You've seen my Father. Because I've come to reveal who He is. And so they fight Him over the validity of His testimony. And he tells them in verse 15, You judge according to the flesh, according to superficial means, but I judge no one according to that way. Yet even if I do judge, in verse 16, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And again, we spoke of this all the way back in John chapter 5, and it's just being repeated here um, once again. Because of who He is, Jesus can say these things, and He speaks what His Father says he does what his father does and so therefore when he speaks he is speaking the truth because he's speaking what his father has already said and so he tells them listen you're just looking at me with man's eyes and you're not seeing truly who i am every bit of it is superficial and they were making final judgments on everybody that's what the religious leaders were doing and jesus is saying listen i'm not doing that I've come to be the light of the world and to call people to know me. And the problem with them is that they were living in the dark in regard to everything concerning Jesus. And so Jesus tells them, you don't know me and you don't know my Father. For if you knew my Father, you would know me. And if you knew me, you would know my Father. Now, how well do you think that went over to these religious leaders who claimed that they knew God intimately? Not well. And so they know again what he is saying to them, and he's telling them, my judgment is true. And even if I do make a final judgment, it is true. Back in John 5, 22, he speaks of the judgment of life and condemnation. In John 5, 30, um, 
His judgment is in harmony or unity with the Father. Now listen, the first time Jesus came, He came to lay His life down and to offer salvation to people. You know what He's going to do the next time He comes? He's going to come as a judge. He's going to come as a judge, and He will judge the world according to what they have believed concerning Him. So look at verse 17 as we've about finished. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. He's affirming what the law says. And I am one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about myself. And so he says, yeah, it's biblical that you need two witnesses. And we have two witnesses. It's myself. I can bear witness about who I am because I am who I am. I am the light of the world. And my Father is born witness about who I am. And they hate this statement. And here's the reality of unbelief. You may have met people like this. If you'd show me more, I'd believe. The problem with unbelief is that it never gets to a place where there's enough evidence. It just always demands more. Show me more. Show me more. And that's what the Pharisees have done. At that Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus is at, you know who's there? People from all over the nation have come. And here's the reality. Listen. He's been in every town and village, healing the sick, raising the dead, making lame people walk, curing leprosy. The blind could see, the deaf could hear, and they're now in Jerusalem. And they could give testimony. That's that guy who came to my city and my village. And I couldn't walk, and now I can walk. I couldn't hear, and now I could hear. They, the Pharisees, had watched Jesus do miracles. They had enough evidence? Absolutely, they had enough evidence. And yet their unbelief remained. And back in John chapter 7, verse 17, we looked at it a few weeks ago. Jesus told them, if anyone really wants to know God's will, you will know what I'm saying is true. If you really want to know it, you will know that truth is there if you're willing to listen. But their big issue in the moment was this, and this becomes one of our grave issues. They knew the word of God academically, the religious leaders did. But they didn't know Jesus as the living word. And there's a huge difference between those two. You can know a lot of facts. But if you never come to Jesus, you don't know him. And that leads to a big gap in people's life. And it's absolutely possible to be someone who intellectually sees what is being communicated. And to reject the truth for a lifetime. And reject it. And that's why it's critical that everybody has to have an encounter with Jesus, where the Spirit of God shows us who the glory of Christ is and enables us to believe and to come to faith. Because knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus are vastly different. So let's close with this. There is a magnificence that the Pharisees are missing of knowing the Father and knowing the Son. There's a tenderness in these strong words of Christ as well. He is offering people that have been rejecting him over and over and over and over again one more opportunity to believe. Just reminding them that they can come to know him. So look at 19 and 20. And this is where we'll finish. So they said to him, therefore, where is your father? I think they're mocking him. There was lots of rumors, obviously, obviously around Christ's birth. Okay, his mom wasn't married yet, and all of a sudden she's pregnant, and she's telling the story. An angel came and said, listen, 
uh, here's what's going to happen with you and, and all of this stuff. And so, you know, Joseph and just all of the stuff that's there. And so it's likely they are mocking him here. Where is your father? Where's your father? And it's possible Joseph, um, many people believe, may have been dead by this particular point in time. He's not mentioned, and Mary is. We just don't know much about that, but, but it's probably mocking his illegitimacy around his birth. And Jesus just doesn't go there with them. He tells them that they don't have a clue about him and they don't have a clue about his father. And so since they rejected Christ at every turn over and over, they were choosing to stay blind in their spiritual darkness. And they are like many people today who can state the reasons why they do not believe and they refuse to follow. And nothing really has changed over the last 2,000 years. Superficial reasons of rejecting Jesus still leads to people having lives of eternal separation. Outright rejection of Jesus and eliminating Jesus from a person's life and rejecting claims of Jesus does not mean that he's not who he says he is. We can say, you're not that, and he says he is that. Well, he is that. He is everything that he says he is. And so Jesus tells them, you would not even know Yahweh if he stepped into the temple today. You wouldn't even recognize him. Because I'm the embodiment of what he is like. And I've come to reveal him to you, this heavenly father. And you're not interested. You don't want to see it. You don't want to listen to it. You don't want to believe it. And if you don't know his son, me, the light of the world, then you don't know him. My brain does this, so forgive me. I think about the next life a lot. I'm not trying to leave this life. I don't have any grandkids yet. I'd like to be called Pop or something like that one day. But I often think about there because I know what it's like here. And I think here is pretty awesome at times. I love spicy, hearty food. Ice cream is the greatest invention in the history of Earth. Reese's peanut butter cups are awesome. Disc golf is the greatest sport that's ever been invented. I love my wife, I love my family, I love you, I love our church, but I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with Him. And way back when, long before Christ came, Isaiah wrote about this coming kingdom that's way in the future. And then John, at the end of the first century, wrote about this coming place where God's people will dwell. And by the way, it's about light. That's where we're headed. Light that's dominated by life. Isaiah 60, 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. 
but the Lord will be your everlasting life and your God will be your glory. That your sun shall no more go down nor your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days, watch this, your days of mourning, your days of COVID, your days of cancer, your days of heartache will not last. Your days of mourning shall be ended. And listen to this. Revelation 21. And the city that we're headed to has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates shall never be shut. There will be freedom by day, and there will be no night there. So when Jesus stood up on that day at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, in the place where these illumined canyon can- candles that man made and man had to operate, he stood up and said, you don't need to operate me. I am God. I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am offering that to you. So come to me if you want life. Because I am the light of the world. And by the way, he can be known. This one that's so big, so amazing, came and he made himself so personal that he had to eat, he had to drink, he had to sleep. He had relationships. He cried. And he's so tender and he's so good that in this room this morning, he is saying, yes, I am the light of the world, but I am inviting you to know me. I'm inviting you to know me. And if you don't know him today, That invitation is for you to come and believe. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you have any questions about that, you can come grab me. You can grab somebody that you come with, anybody at all, and we would love to talk to you about that. What a tragedy it would be to go home to Christmas lights today but not come to the real light. And you're invited to come see my house tonight. (laughs) Four and a half hours of light work yesterday good husband right here not really let's pray okay